Okay, um, if you want a title, you can call this a truly great Christmas. That's where we're going to go. A truly great Christmas. Because um, so today is the first Sunday of Advent. Because um, Advent's four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Today is the first one. And I do like to kind of share a little bit about this time because I still think that for many of us, we get way too caught up in the culture around us rather than the culture of the kingdom. And I think we should do that. By the way, I've just realised I've still got my hoodie on, but that's because it's freezing in here. And also two weeks ago, Ali said, Adam, you will never preach in a hoodie. And I went, ah, okay, challenge accepted. So and I'm also not going to freeze to death because it's really cold, <laughs> despite the heat behind me. But let's go into these words. Okay, these are words that... So first of all, this is what I want to do. I want to take what Paul shared last week, which for me was just wonderfully dynamite in a good way. I want to take that and kind of speak about that a little, bit, a little bit and then morph into Advent and Christmas and how that might affect things. So, uh, Paul mentioned these words. Let's see how many of these words you might be able to identify with. Dislocated, disjointed, disquieted, depressed, disturbed, disconnected, dead. Now, hopefully, physically, you're not dead. Uh, otherwise, that would be a problem. But, um, and he said, this was what was happening during this time. And the pressure of this present time was causing all sorts of feelings and grief within us and bringing out all sorts of thoughts. And I thought, what do, what do all those D words mean? Listen, dislocated. Moved from its proper position or place. Anybody felt like you'd been moved from your proper position or place? Disjointed. Lacking a coherent sequence or connection. Well, there's a number of things that I can look at and think they lack a coherent sequence or connection. Disquieted, worried, uneasy. Depressed, a state of unhappiness or despondency or, or even verging on kind of clinical depression. Disturbed, having had the normal pattern or functioning disrupted. Well, I think nearly everybody's had their normal pattern or functioning disrupted in some way, shape or form. Disconnected, having had a connection broken or lacking connection with reality. Dead, no longer alive or having lost sensation, numb. Well, I don't know about you, but I can identify with all those words in different ways. Have I felt moved from my proper position or place? Yes, in some ways I have. There are some things that my heart wants to do that it's more difficult to do or more challenging to do or different to do. Have I sensed there's been a lack of coherent sequence or connection? Well, in some of the things that have been spoken and said and decreed, it doesn't seem to me there's much... Uh, coherence in some of it. Have I felt sometimes worried or uneasy? Yeah. Um, not particularly for me, but certainly for other people. I've felt very worried about a number of people. Um, and I don't just mean people in our family, I mean in our, in our world. Have I felt worried or uneasy for them? Yes, I have, deeply. Depressed? I don't think I've been depressed, but certainly I've had times of, of, been, of feeling quite down. Um, have I had the normal pattern disturbed, the normal pattern uh, of functioning disrupted? Well, yeah, my, to some degree, life's different. It has for all of us. Haven't had a connection broken? Well, that physical connection, like I say, I, you know, there's some of you I've not seen in the flesh since March. That grieves me, pains me, hurts me. I don't feel connected in the same way. I don't like it. Dead, well, I'm, I'm fully alive, and I'm pleased to say that my spirit's probably more alive. That's one thing that I do know. My spirit is actually more alive. That's one of the great things for me through lockdown. But have I 
felt a bit numb at times. Yeah, as I've gone through the grief, as I've gone, as I've processed it, yeah, I felt a bit numb at times. I, I felt, felt like that. And if I've felt like that, I'm sure you have felt like that to some degree or another. And as Paul was sharing, he said this, in order that the above doesn't happen, we have to come to terms with where we are and what's happening inside of us and how that may be playing out around us. Which means that if some or all of those D words are happening, perhaps we're not quite aware of what is happening on the inside of us and how that is playing out around us. So I have felt all those things, but I've also been able to process what's going on in me and therefore come out of those things. So it's not really an issue that you feel those things in that sense, but the issue is what are you doing about those things? How are you perceiving those things? Who are you sharing with about those things so that you can come out of those things? Because you're not meant to stay in those places. And in Luke 22, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and the picture is of olives being pressed. That's what Gethsemane means, a place of pressing. So Jesus went through the greatest, most tense pressing ever experienced by any human on the face of the earth. We know that. He went through the greatest, most intense pressing ever experienced by any human being on the face of the earth. And sadly, all of those who follow him had to go through the Garden of Gethsemane with him. There were no shortcuts. Now, this is what most people have not grasped. I have talked for many months about a new era and a new glory and God breaking through in new ways. But the part that perhaps people have not quite grasped yet is that to see a new level of glory, you have to undergo a different level of Gethsemane. So in order to see greater glory, you've got to go through a deeper Gethsemane, a deeper pressing. You don't get to see God do new things by doing the same things you did before. So if all through lockdown you're just doing all the things you used to do, then you will get the relationship with God you used to have. Because your relationship with God, your intimacy with God, actually your relationship and intimacy with anybody doesn't change if you don't make a change. So if I continue to just talk to somebody about the weather, and that's all I talk to them about, and I never share any depth, and I never ask them about any depth, we'll never go beyond the weather. We'll never go to a greater depth together. Well, Jesus is somebody you have a relationship with. So the depth with which you share with him determines the depth of relationship you have with him. It also determines, I believe, the depth of glory you see. And when I talk about glory, I'm not talking about Old Testament glory. I'm talking about glory as Jesus defined it in the story of Lazarus. When Lazarus was in the tomb and he was dead... And, and, and they're all going, no, we can't roll back the stone because he's going to stink. And Jesus says, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. The glory of God is a dead man walking. That's what Jesus described glory as, a dead man coming out of a tomb. Somebody being restored, somebody being healed, somebody who was literally physically dead. But of course, it's a picture of our internal lives, parts of us that are dead to Jesus, dead to life. The pain, the trauma, the difficulty. That comes alive again and walks out of the tomb and then we have to take the bandages off. It's a whole other teaching that I've taught many times. But that's what I mean when I talk about glory. You, you see, if you want to see more of the glory of God, you have to be willing to experience more of the Gethsemane of God. Glory and Gethsemane are linked together. And I don't mean you go looking for it, okay? Because you don't need to go looking for pressing. You don't need to go looking for it. It will find you no matter what. The issue is we've got to wake up to it and be awake to it. Think about Jesus. It's no coincidence that the greatest pressing he experienced came before 
his moment of greatest glory when he was raised from the dead. That's not a coincidence. That is a pattern for you and for me. Greater resurrection, greater life generally comes from greater pressing. So in one sense, I go, well, what an exciting time then. Because we've all been pressed. Paul has said it, you know, it's been a, been a vortex. Lots pressed into a small space of time. An incredible opportunity to go deep with Jesus. For months now, we've been praying for light. Asking for Jesus to shine his light in our hearts. That we might see the places where he doesn't rule and reign. And invite him into those places. So I, I don't look at this time and go, oh, what a terrible time. I go, okay, well, if we're going to see more glory. Then we've been through a deeper Gethsemane. That means automatically, if we go through it. If we go through it, then the other side is a greater glory. The other side is God working in greater depths in our lives, through us, in us, around us, if we go through it. And of course, it's about identifying those things, being awake to those things, and actually being willing to go through it, not just sit in it. Because some people, they just sit in Gethsemane. They don't walk through Gethsemane. But we have to walk through it. By looking at what Jesus is telling us. All the things that we've taught over months and years really. But if you go through it. You come out the other side. In a greater glory. And I'm aware of lots of people. Where God has done just that. He has shone his light. And it's been a painful time. A difficult time. A challenging time. Because to dare to look on that. Which has been in the dark for so long. Is challenging, painful and difficult. But it is also the way. We allow more of the light of Jesus. Into our lives. It's the way to glory. The way to more glory is through Gethsemane. There are no shortcuts. There just are. But the glory that we are going to see for those who go through the pressing, that is going to be on a whole new level. I, I, honestly, I, I've been saying it for a while about this new era. I am utterly assured that we are going to hit new levels of God. I know for me personally, I am seeing things I've never seen before. In terms of uh, words of people, in terms of praying for people, in terms of freedom that's coming for people, in terms of my own kind of depth of what we've got, I'm seeing all those things. But I know that's because I have gone through the pressing into the other side. And of course, it's a, you don't just do it once, it's a continual journey. But I know that when you go through it, you get to see the good stuff. Of course, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So your spirit's willing. But your flesh is weak. And for the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane that day, they'd experienced a deceit, a betrayal, a darkness that was way beyond their comprehension. And I think for a lot of us, a lot of what's going on is actually beyond our comprehension. We can't quite understand what's going on. And, and we can read and we can watch and we can do all this and we can try and logic and reason it out. But it seems difficult to understand it. And I think that's because it's not just a logical thing that's going on. There is a spiritual thing that's going on as well. Which is why listening to the voice of the prophets is so important at this time. It's not just about trying to work out what's going on at a national level, a governmental level, what's, what's going on at a scientific level. Okay, well, you can try and do all that and that may well be helpful. But ultimately, what you really need to know at this time is what is God saying at this time and what is God asking us to do at this time. Because you can have all the understanding you want, but if you don't understand it from God's perspective, well, you're really no different from anybody else in the world. It's why learning to listen to the prophetic voice that comes is really, really, really... We need that now more than ever. And of course, we're not used to quite listening to it, uh, perhaps as much as we have been doing. And, and sometimes it comes across as uh, new to us or difficult or we don't always get it. But as I've said before, 
when you hear a prophetic voice, you've got to go, okay, which bits of it can I deal with right now? If there are bits I can't deal with it, I'm just going to leave them for now because for somebody else, they can deal with that. So that's what we've got to do. We've got to learn to discern really, really well. Um, so yeah, the disciples, it had been a beautiful day. Suddenly it was night and adjust into the darkness so we can see always takes some time. You don't come out of a dark room into a bright sunshine being able to see. You're kind of like, oh, and it takes some people longer to adjust than others. So we've got to have lots of grace at this moment in time for people or those around us. All, all, all sorts of people are moving at different rates. I've described it to a few people. It's like going on a walk. So imagine the whole church family, even all your friends, we're going on a walk, a hike, 10 kilometres, say. Well, you all sit off at the same time, but you know on a walk, you end up getting kind of spread out. Okay, so there's some people at the front, some people middle, some people are straggling. And the trick, if you're leading a walk like that, is to try and keep all the people on the same walk, knowing that people will walk at a different pace. That's okay that people are walking at different paces. The important thing is, are we all heading on the same walk? The pace is not the issue. The issue is, are we heading on the same walk? That's what, so don't worry if you go, well, they, they seem to be further ahead than me. That's okay, but are we on the same journey towards seeing more of the glory of God? That's the important question. But Paul shared last week, there are a number of ways we can react. So he shared all these ways. Okay, sleep, hiding from reality. Statements of good intent. Taking up arms. Mourning and lamenting. Uh, forsaking the action of quitting, feeling exposed and vulnerable, wanting to move forward but weighed down by the pain. And I don't know about you, but as he shared all these things with me, I kind of went tick on nearly them all. Uh, and in fact, I used last Sunday night, I came down and I wrote each one of them out in my journal. So I wrote all my normal stuff in my journal and I went, right, sleep, how have I done that? Statements of good intent, have I met any of those? Taking up arms, how did I want to... Uh, is there any ways, any people, any body that I want to kind of lash out? Is, and I went through each and every one of them and go, okay, yeah. And I understood, I've reacted and responded in all these different ways. And then I brought them to Jesus and I told him about them and then I shared them as well. But this is what I do. This is how I get through these things. I actually go, okay, all of these things, how have I done it? What have I done? Bring them to Jesus, share them with somebody else. And then I know, okay, I'm aware of that now. I don't need to react like that and I can go through Gethsemane into something different. I suppose the question is whether you've done that. Have you taken any time to share with him how you were feeling? Have you thought about whether you've reacted in those ways? Have you invited him, him into all that you are sensing? Because it's really important that we do. That's how you get through Gethsemane into glory. You actually take the time to do it and you go through it line by line and you just ask him and he shows you. Now, what has all this got to do with Advent, you are maybe perhaps asking? Um, well, first of all, we know this Christmas is going to be different. Okay, it's going to be different. Uh, but Christmas is about Emmanuel, God with us. It's about the Christ coming as a baby, being born on the earth so he might be born in us. So Advent is the run up to Christmas and it's about expectancy, it's about hope of the arrival of Jesus. But, but not as a baby but to come in the here and now in a real way into the reality of where we find ourselves. So Meister Eckhart, a 12th century mystic and theologian, said this, Jesus, what good is it if he came all those years ago if he doesn't continue to come now? Jesus, what good is it if he came all those years ago if he doesn't continue to come now? So, 
This year is going to be different in all sorts of ways. We're having to ask questions that we've never had to ask before. Make choices we've never had to make before with all the various restrictions and all that sort of stuff. We, we've never had to think, okay, what, how do I react to this? How do I respond to this? But there are some deeper questions I want you to think about rather than which two people you're going to form a bubble with and all that sort of stuff. Let's ask this question. What does it mean to have a good Christmas? What does it mean for Christmas to be a success? You see, I really want you to think about this question. And I've got an answer that I'm going to share with you in a minute that I think we should be focusing and revolving Christmas around. But I think we need to ponder it because how you answer it determines where you put your energy over the next few weeks. Because really, it's a time and a season and we, we get so sucked into our culture and all of it that we don't often think about what it might mean for it to be good what might mean for it to be a success. But I think we've got an incredible moment this year because we're thinking about things we've never thought about, thinking in more depth than we've never thought about. Let's think truly deeply about this time and ask some proper deep questions about it. Because I know how we answer that question because I know what I want it to be all about. Christmas is about Christ being born into the world and our celebration of Christmas is about Christ being born into our world. So a true Christmas is a time when Christ is born anew into our lives. So for me, that is a good Christmas. I'll have had a good Christmas if Christ is born anew into my life and the lives of those around me. For me, that's above everything else. Has Christ been born in a fresh way in me? So when I think about Christmas, when I think about Christmas Day, when I think about Christmas events, when I think about who I might be with, that is what I'm thinking about. That's my uppermost priority. Before anything else, that's what I am going to make my priority and my vision for this next month. How can Christ be born in me and you and in others and you? And what does that look like for me to do that? And perhaps in Advent, in these next four weeks, as we ponder that, it's also a time to allow Emmanuel, who is truly present with us, into some of those things. What you do not want to do is enter next year carrying the weight of this year. You do not want to enter next year carrying the weight of all those D words. And you don't need to, if you're willing to process it as best you can. Now, Mark chapter 13, verses 32 to 37. The, the words that generally get thought of as about Jesus' kind of bodily return at the end of the age, but I think they're actually about his arrival every day. He says this, concerning that day and exact hour, no one knows when it will arrive. Not the angels of heaven, not even the Son, only the Father knows. This is why you must be waiting, watching and praying, because no one knows when that season of time will come. For those days can be compared to a man who was about to leave on a journey. But before leaving, he placed his servants in charge and gave each one to work to do while he was away. Then he commanded the watchman to be on guard at all times. So I say to you, keep awake and alert, for you have no idea when the master of the house will return in the evening at midnight, at four o'clock in the morning or at dawn. Be alert for he's coming suddenly and may find you sleeping. And what I say to the four of you, I say to everyone, be awake at all times. Now again, so this is kind of known as, okay, it's about when Jesus is going to come back, but it's also about the arrival of Jesus in your life. And you do not know the time or the season when Jesus will show up. And the warning, be alert for he's coming suddenly 
and may find you sleeping. I don't mean physically sleeping. I mean sleeping in a way that you are not alert to his presence around you, in you, and through you, and because of you. You've got to be alert to it. You notice as well in the parable, he only gave each servant work to do while he was aware. What work have you done? What time have you spent? What opportunity have you given him? Have you done any work? Spent any time so you are alert to his coming? You see, when it comes to Christmas, we have these expectations and all too often they just don't come true. Some of us have ridiculous expectations of Christmas, honestly. And it's nowhere, it's just not biblical at all. It's just not biblical. I mean, there's nowhere in the Bible it even talks about it. Really, we should be making a much bigger deal of Easter than we do Christmas. A much bigger deal. We really should. Why we make such a big deal of eating certain food on a certain day around a certain table, I have no idea, but I'm telling you, it's completely unbiblical. And we've really got to just give that up, some of us. God is not that bothered that you have a Christmas dinner on Christmas Day. All right? He wasn't born on December 25th, all right? That's a pagan festival that the Romans decided when Christianity became the state religion. They wanted to get rid of the pagan religion, so they did it on December 25th. That's why Christmas Day is Christmas Day. Nothing to do with when Jesus was born. He was probably born October sometime. So have Christmas dinner in October. Celebrate it properly. But seriously, we've, we've got to go, okay, if we're going to enter a new glory, we've got to become proper kingdom people. And proper kingdom people recognise proper kingdom things. And those things, I'm not saying they're bad, but they're, they're really not core kingdom values. Cars being together, sharing together, eating together, they're kingdom values. But having to share a specific thing on a specific day, they're not kingdom things as far as I can see. But, so when it comes to Christmas, we have all these expectations, many of us. Uh, often they don't come true. Often we look back on Christmas and for some reason we've built it up into this amazing thing. All of our culture, not much of what Jesus says about it, because Jesus is bothered about him being born in you and you. There you go. Have that as your expectation. Build that for what you believe about Christmas. Because you will never be disappointed. If you want Jesus to be born afresh in you, the Christ child to be born in you in a new way, you will never be left disappointed. Everything else can disappoint Perhaps the point of Advent is we would dare to rediscover our ability to be surprised. Dare to discover our ability to be touched by Jesus in a new way. Sometimes, and, and again, you know, this, the fact that it has to be different, I think is quite good. Because you get used to going to this service, you get used to going to that service, you get used to going to this person's house. Okay, well, it's going to have to be different then. But maybe we need to come afresh and go, Jesus, I want to encounter you afresh. And maybe the fact that it's different will help us find some freshness, if you like, in him and through him. Perhaps the thought of all the various restrictions, all the decisions you've got to make, the conversations you might feel you've got to have, that suck all the life and desire out of it. But forget all the commercial nonsense. Forget the ridiculous pressure. And remember, Christmas is about the Christ child being born in you today. This is not a one-off event. It's a lifetime of daily events. And if we're not careful, we might miss those moments when God wants to speak into us. We miss his birth in us, as it were. Of course, he may not come as we'd want him to. He may not come in the manner we want him to. He may not come at the time we would want him to. But he will come. He desires to live more fully in you and reveal himself more fully in you. The writer, the mystic writer Edward Hayes wrote this. Take time. Slow down. Be still. Be awake to the divine mystery that looks so common and so ordinary 
yet is so wondrously present. Beautiful. The divine mystery that looks so common and so ordinary, yet is so wondrously present. Perhaps you are feeling deeply disappointed right now. Perhaps many of those D words are started with, you feel like they're a reality. Well, one of the issues with our disappointment is that Jesus sometimes looks so common and ordinary. We have, we have as a Western church, made church and Jesus. We've hyped him up somehow. We've made it so you have to have the lights and you have to have the cameras and the smoke machines and like that's the kind of... But Jesus is much more seen in the ordinary. You remember the story of Elijah? He wasn't in the thunder. He wasn't in the lightning. He was in the still small voice that's where he lives most of the time but perhaps we need to take time slow down be still and be awake to the divine mystery some of us are so weighed down by all those d words that we don't quite manage it i was really struck by Paul's thoughts last week when he shared about Peter. You remember, he's Peter's in the boat and he's fishing, Jesus is on the shore, and it says Peter putting his out again. And Paul suggested that perhaps that's because in his heart, Simon Peter believed he could walk on the water like he'd done before. But the weight of everything was so heavy, even though his heart's desire was to walk on the water and run to Jesus, the weight of the pain just kind of made him sink. Made him sink, made him sink. I, and I guess... I guess I could relate to that. There's been times when I've wanted to just run for it. But the weight of all that's gone on, the weight of, of my own experience and the weight of everybody else's experience that I see and hear about just got so heavy that even though in my heart I wanted to run on the water, I just sank. But listen, that's why we've got to give these things over to him. And listen, I... You know, so, so just that last week, I, I'd gone on my day off. I have Thursdays a day off these days. On my day off, I, I'd walked 12 K around Swinsty and Fuston with a dog, just praying, pondering. I'd done all that, all right? So I'd had all that time. This is before Paul spoke. And then he spoke. And then I came down here on Sunday night. I had another hour and a half just journaling. Now, if I need to do that, we all need to make some time and space to do it. Whatever works, whatever. It might not be, you know, for me, I like writing. I'm a writer. I like it. You might have to talk it out. Okay, find somebody and talk it. You, you, you might draw it. You might sing it. You might art, art it. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Create some art about it. I don't know, but, but listen, let us take time. Slow down. Be still and be awake to the divine mystery. Listen. We start with these words, dislocated, disjointed, disquieted, depressed, disturbed, disconnected. You don't want to enter the new year. You don't even want to enter the Christmas time feeling like that. And as we try and enter Advent, as we enter Advent, as we try and navigate through this unique Advent and Christmas time, I want you to really think about what a good Christmas would mean for you. I know, like, people in my family are already saying, oh, can we talk about it? Can we try and work some things out? Okay, yeah. But I know in the back of my mind what a good Christmas means and what's important to me, which takes a ton of pressure off. It's the beautiful thing. It takes a ton of pressure off. Because... Why don't we organize our time, energy, and finances around that goal? Around the goal of making sure we give time and space for Jesus to arrive on you. Can I suggest?
that, a bib that biblically a truly great Christmas has nothing to do with gathering lots of people together. It has nothing to do with giving and receiving gifts. It has nothing to do with having a particular meal on a particular day. And it has nothing to do with trees and decorations. Now, those things are all good and wonderful and enjoyable. Enjoy them all. But none of them, not even all of them, with all the people you want in that room, with the perfect meal, the perfect gift, none of it can make a truly great Christmas. Unless Christ is born anew and afresh in us and those around us. So I, I want you to really think, okay, how will you choose to measure Christmas this year? Take a moment to go, this is what a good Christmas means, and then put all your time, all your energy, all your resources in a hit in that one goal. And if you choose for Christ to come afresh in you and those around you, you cannot be disappointed this year. And that sounds like a beautiful place to be. Amen. Amen. It's just so wonderful because it just takes all the pressure off. I'm not fussed whether somebody invites me, don't invite me, or after. Not bothered. I'm just bothered that Christ will be born afresh in me and those around me. And I think that's what God's most bothered about as well. Amen.